Would you grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 4 and let's read our text this morning. Ephesians 4, we're going to read 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unit to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. So we begin a new series today that we're going to spend two weeks in Ephesians chapter 4. And then we're going to be moving into looking at the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. But before we look at the seven churches in 2 and 3, we're going to look at Revelation 1. Because Revelation 1 is a foundation for 2 and 3. Because of all of those descriptions that John sees of Jesus, they are mentioned again in 2 and 3. And they have everything to do um, with the church. And so we're going to, that's where we'll be going probably over the next 10 to 11 to 12 weeks, depending on how things go. Um, that is kind of where we're going to, uh, we'll end up and kind of finish things out. So I have a lot of information today, and that may be shocking or not shocking to you. And so I'm just going to take my time today. And so however far we get, in our allotted time, we will get there. I plan on, I've got six main things that I want to look at in Ephesians 4 that we just read about there. And the plan today is to look at the first um, three of those. Um, and I wanted to do this just by way of, practice and since I've been gone for a bit to kind of bring you up to speed. Um, I don't always talk about myself and um, but I wanted to kind of let you know and and let you join in uh, with something for prayer for us. Um, Our daughter Haven if you'll remember uh, back in January um, had had an episode as she was going to school in Chicago um, with numbness in her arms and things of that nature and so she had to go to the emergency room and some of those symptoms continued to over the rest of the semester, and she had um, another episode last week um, while I was in Asia, and uh, she has come home. She's here today, but I just want to ask you, um, we've, we just needed to bring her home. Uh, she has a doctor's appointment tomorrow to see if we can kind of figure out um, what is going on and what's kind of causing all of this, and so um, I just want to, I want to practice church stuff that I just don't want you to, I, I get mad at you when you don't tell me that there's stuff going on in your life, and I find out two weeks later, so I wanted to practice this so you can't be mad at me um, in two weeks when you hear about this, and so um, if you would, just be praying for that, that we can kind of find something out. Uh, she's supposed to have finals this week from Moody uh, Bible Institute, and so we've got those things to work out as well, but um, I just wanted to share that with you this morning, if you would join us uh, in praying. Um, for the for the doctor's appointment tomorrow, and that we will be able to find out kind of what's going on. So when I was a kid, 
my parents every summer, every summer took me to, it's not one of the greatest places on earth, but when I was a kid, it was one of the greatest places on the planet. It's called Six Flags. As an adult, it's not so great. Um, I've gotten older now. I get very dizzy when I do roller coasters now where I used to could handle them all day long. Can't do it hardly anymore without thinking. My stomach starts talking to my mouth and says, I've got something for you. And I, I'm, just, I'm just tired of that conversation at Six Flags about all that. But I remember when I was a kid, just wanting to, from a young age, to ride all the rides. But at Six Flags, they had a little wooden man that had a hand like this. And they would, depending on the ride, would, would kind of go up. And you had to be tall enough, taller than the hand, to be able to ride the rides. And I remember... Some of the rides when I was young, I couldn't do, and I couldn't wait. There was this great anticipation that one day I'm going to be over that hand, and I'm going to get to ride that ride. And, I, and there, was, there was such joy when that day came that that summer that I was tall enough, and I you know, stood up a little taller there at Six Flags and thought, I'm riding this ride today, and, and it was awesome. So I, we're going to talk over the next couple of weeks about us getting to a place that we just read about a while ago, of attaining to the measure that the Bible sets forth for us to determine what Christian maturity looks like. Now, a lot of people today have their own idea about what Christian maturity looks like. And I don't really care about that unless it's connected deeply to Scripture. The only way we can know what biblical spiritual maturity looks like is to see what the Bible has to say about that. So it's not about a denomination's opinion, my opinion, but what does the scripture that was written under the inspiration of the Spirit, what does it tell us about getting to the place of spiritual maturity? And so we will look a little bit about that today and greatly um, next week as we finish those things up. But I want to ask the question as we begin today, what is the church? Paul just defined it really well a while ago in 11 through 16. What, what is the church biblically? Is it even possible to clearly define what that looks like? Is church just be evaluated on size? Should it be program driven where the church is busy asking people um, to be a part of programs and, and all of those things like that? The church today, some churches have become very entertainment driven. You know, you got to get them there, so you got to do things, and then once you get them there, you got to continue to do things to kind of keep them there. And so, some churches are primarily about social gospel things. Those things are important. We are to care about the poor. We are to care about orphans and widows. But sometimes social gospel has risen to the place that there's not biblical gospel teaching that takes place, but the priority of all of those things gets that way. Many churches have become defined by self-affirmation, wanting people, because there's such a difficulty in our society today and confusion about self, that there's a big affirmation trying to make sure everybody feels good about things. And so people embrace the person without ever loving them enough to confront and talk about issues that are there in their lives and the sin that was there. Some churches are ever-evolving to adjust to the new shift in cultural changes. So these churches become less biblical and a bit more hybrid in the way that they looked. And so because they're hybrid, they're not so distinct. 
And change is needed sometimes in the church, but not toward looking like and being like culture. Or, and this is the one we're going to look at over the next weeks to come, is the church fixed in its foundation? Is that clear? Is it, is it clear about the church's purpose, the expression of the church and what it is to look like? And though the church is ancient, 2,000 years ago, it's a long time. Yet I believe it is ever new. And the reason it is new is because it's built on the glory of Jesus Christ. And because of that reality, the church is alive. It is relevant regardless of culture, nation, language, Wherever it is, there is a biblical precedent from the scripture of how we are to see church, operate as church, and to live our lives. And so we're going to consider these things uh, today and the weeks to come. The family and the church are the two most important institutions on the planet for any culture, and particularly in ours as we look and see what is happening and taking place all around us. And so therefore, we must know as believers, what is the answer to what is the church? This is absolutely critical because I believe part of the reason that we are seeing many of the things that we are seeing talked about in the church and being allowed and not being pushed back enough in our culture is because the church lost its way quite a while ago. And we've got to find that way again and stay in that way. And so we have, as God's people must know what the Bible's answer is to what is church. It's not an option for us to not know the answer to that question. We are Jesus' bride. That is an awesome thing to think about today. We belong to Him. We have been redeemed by His great work and what we did a while ago by coming to the Lord's Supper to remember the sacrifice that was made for us that brought about the birthing of the church. So the church, again, has had many opportunities to maintain itself biblically. But there's been such a shift to think about the felt needs of people that the church has lost touch. And I believe feel for what is biblical. So again, in these weeks, we're going to look at the reality of this. So let's begin looking in verse 12 this morning. And here's our first principle we will have these up on the screen for you. Leaders are charged with the responsibility to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So as Paul begins to define for us in 11 and 12a through 12a, the first part of verse 12, he defines for us what the leaders of the church are to be about. And so look with me again in verse 11, and we'll read the first part of verse 12 as well. And then I want to talk about that this morning. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So Jesus did this great thing in giving to the church gifted people to lead it. Hopefully gifted people. Now I have a great confidence in our elders at the church. I hope you do as well. I know them well. They are men that during the middle of the night, if I needed something, I know that I could call them and they would take care of things. As a matter of fact, um, 
when we were trying to figure out how do we how do we get Haven back here and and all of that, one of them stepped up and and ministered to us during that time. And so so we have leaders that are committed to not only just be biblical and teach things, but to actually put into practice things that are important for leaders to do, like giving and sacrifice and and all of those things. And so Paul writes here that one of the great gifts that has been given to the church are gifted people who lead the church. And Paul mentions four specific offices. So I want to touch on them so that we can see kind of where we are today in regard to church in 2023 and then in regard to what church was like in the first century. So the first one he mentions there is the word apostles. Those who were, quali- who were qualified, and I want to emphasize that, who were qualified for this role were those who had seen Jesus in the flesh. You can see that in Acts 1, verse 22. They had also seen the resurrected Lord as well. His apostles were chosen directly by Jesus himself. They were not chosen by the church. Jesus had chosen the 12 that were going to follow him. We know what happened with Judas. It seems to be pretty clear in reading the New Testament, and particularly Acts, that though in Acts chapter 1 they replaced Judas um, with this dice thing with Matthias, it was Paul who was going to take on this unique role of, of, of being an eyewitness of Jesus and being this apostle. So I personally believe this, and I think it's clear from the New Testament, that the age of being giving titles to people in the church in our day and time, the name apostle should not be done. The original apostles were those who had been eyewitnesses of Christ, who had been with him. Um, Part of their ministry was signs and wonders like it was with Jesus. We see that in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Um, So I believe that this office of apostle died out when they died out in the first century. Now you'll hear this some. In churches today, that they'll be, um, instead of calling the pastor, pastor, they will call them apostle, such and such. And I just don't recommend that. I think there's a unique office, and I think it ended when all the apostles died. And yet, let me say this, these original ones who were the apostles, they continue right now in the room this morning to continue have fruit of their ministry. We are reading one of Paul's letters. So the work of the apostles has continued on for the last 2,000 years. The things that they wrote, the things that they taught, the things that they modeled for the church. Second group Paul mentions here are prophets. Now we know about Old Testament prophets. And so we know that the foundation of the New Testament was grounded in uh, the Old Testament. And much of it is grounded in the teaching and the proclamation of the Old Testament Prophets, And so you have prophets in the Old Testament that wrote really, really long books. You have some that had specific purposes for a specific time to deal with specific issues. And they are prophets and they are communicators of the gospel and God's heart. And they wrote about who Jesus would be when Christ came. We were able to see a little bit more about him. But I want to talk about the office of New Testament prophet for a second. So I want you to think about this with me. The apostles became kind of New Testament prophets in a sense like it was in the Old Testament. The earliest church needed prophets to teach what was right 
Because here's what was happening and taking place. Acts 2.42 says this about the early church in Jerusalem. It gives us an idea in Acts 2.42 what they did once the church was established in Jerusalem. And the very first thing it tells us that the early church was devoted to, it says this, and they devoted themselves to, y'all remember what it says? The apostles' teaching. So before there were written texts that have come to us that we love to read and have great impact upon us, there was just prophetic teaching that was going on. So the apostles were teaching before Scripture was being written, but they were teaching things in line with what the Old Testament taught, but also teaching in line with things that Jesus had been teaching them. They had spent three years with Him. He had been pouring His life into them during those days. We also know on the day of His resurrection, He shows up that night, He opens the Scripture, and He teaches them. And over the period of 40 days, He would appear with them, and it's pretty clear that He would teach them. And so He was refining their understanding about things. And so before there was written text... We have the New Testament prophets who were the apostles who were proclaiming God's word before it began to be written down. And so in the earliest decade or two of the church, um, there were those who were proclaiming the truth before the scripture was written down. So I also believe that that office as well, because the scripture, the canon is closed. We're not waiting on a new fresh book of the Bible to understand things better. I believe that that also, that prophets, though there are those who have prophetic gifts today to speak and to communicate today, but I believe that those first two things that Paul writes there and communicates in verse 11 are connected to the eyewitnesses of Jesus. So that leads to the next two that I believe are still active and very important. The next one is evangelists. Evangelists are those who are instrumental in getting the gospel out to the lost. Everyone, did y'all hear that word, everyone? What does everyone mean? Okay. Everyone is called, if you're a follower of Jesus, to share your faith in your realm with others. So I believe in the gift of evangelism, but I also believe that every believer in a church is to be an evangelist, to build a relationship with a neighbor, with a coworker. I believe moms and dads are evangelists who teach the stories of the scripture to their children. Those are evangelists. Evangelists are those anywhere that's like a student At a school, a student on a ball team, a student in a homeschool co-op who is sharing the gospel, sharing the truth of Jesus, that is evangelism. It is getting the gospel message out about who Jesus is, the necessity to repent of our sin, and to put our faith and trust in Jesus. So what do evangelists do? What are some aspects of that? So we're about to go on a mission trip, family mission trip to Kentucky this summer. We will be being evangelists that's there. And so it's just the sharing of the faith. And I'm going to go back to it again. Everyone, and how many people does that include? Everyone is called in the church to be an evangelist. Now, you may not have the gift of evangelism, but we are all called 
to share the gospel of Jesus. The last office that Paul mentions here are pastors and teachers. In some ways, these two offices, a pastor and teacher, are tied together as God seems to have designed these offices and gifts for local congregations. And in looking at the scripture, these offices were held by men as elders, but that doesn't mean that women are not teachers because they are. And so this, but the office in the beginning, um, as Paul was establishing this for the church and the churches that he was doing, as Jesus was doing this, when you look at the New Testament, these were these pastors and teachers, he's talking about primarily in the beginning, looking at those who would be elders and would be teaching in a local congregation. And so Paul speaks about that in Acts 20, verse 17, and also verse 28. These are the roles that, that, that people have to guard the flock, to teach the flock, to stress right doctrine, to make sure that there's a protection against false doctrine that, happened, um, that can happen inside the church. So as the church began and the church continues, Jesus gives to the church the people that the church needs to lead them and to teach them and to guide them. One, to build the church spiritually, this role of pastor-teacher, and also to teach people about salvation, proclaim that, and also lead them in their sanctification. So Ephesians 4.11 is a little bit different. We're not talking about the spiritual gifts. If you're taking notes this morning, we're not going to go over these, but you can write Romans 12, 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11, and 1 Peter 10 and 11 as they talk about the spiritual gifts. I'm not talking about spiritual gifts that every believer has, but Paul is listening to the roles and the offices that are connected to the local church. And while that is the case, that there are pastors and teachers proclaiming, protecting all of those things for the local church, I remind us, and I remind myself of this every Sunday morning before I come up here. I am not the primary teacher this morning. And you may go, well, yeah, you are. You're up here almost every Sunday. I'm not. Who's the primary teacher in a local church? The Holy Spirit is. So let me remind you of this great role for every Christ follower it is taught in scripture to not forsake the gathering together on a Sunday morning and other times when the body gets together to worship and when we gather there is someone who prepares and speaks and proclaims but our prayer is that these wouldn't be man's thoughts we don't need Doke's thoughts today we need God's thoughts today so that's why we teach tied to the text, and as we teach tied to the text, we rely on the ministry and the work of the glorious third person of the Trinity called Holy Spirit. And listen to what Jesus said about him. In John 14, 17, he is the Spirit of truth. In John 14, 25, Jesus said, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In John 15, 26, Jesus said, He is the Spirit of truth. In John 16, 7, Jesus said, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And in John 16, 13 and following, Jesus said, When the Spirit of truth comes, this is what He will do. He will guide you into all the truth. 
He won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, and he's got a perfect listening ear to the Father and the Son, what he hears, he will speak. And Jesus said, he will declare to you the things that are to come, and he will take what is mine, he will declare it to you, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the primary role on Sunday morning is that churches are to have gifted people who teach and proclaim the truth of Scripture and rely not on their gifts and not on their personality, not on a stage, not on lighting, not on any other thing other than that the Holy Spirit has this unique role to shine the light on the glory of Christ and to be the great teacher in a local church. Amen? So that's, that's what we want to do this morning. In every morning, in every day of our lives as the church, is that those who have this leadership responsibility have the role of equipping and teaching and proclaiming the truth of Scripture. So let's talk about the ministry of equipping just for a moment. Paul now gives us insight or reason and purpose for the leadership's role as they use their spiritual gifts that God has given them to lead a local congregation. And I don't know if we have these on the screen, um, but you can listen to them and I can put them on the internal Facebook page um, later. If I were to summarize Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 in three ways, this is, this is how I would do it. This is all about effective ministry. In the beginning, in verse 11, he uses the word quip. Toward the end, toward verse 16, he uses the word equip again and the idea of equipping. So we've got bookends in this teaching about the church, that the church is to be about equipping people for effective ministry. Here's the first principle. Effective ministry happens within a church when each member is equipped for ministry. So look up here. If I step on your toes, I'm gonna, I apologize ahead of time. If you've been coming to this church and you're a member of this church for years, you should be doing something at this church other than taking up space on Sunday morning. Would you agree with me that the Bible's pretty clear about that? Okay. So one of the things that we are going to do a better job about is asking you to participate and to give of yourself to be a part of something and doing something here at the church. Rebecca Palmer, great job mowing. While Mark and I were gone, Mark and I mowed the south part of our property. Rebecca came up here and mowed. It looks better than we did, so thank you. So I guess you're going to have to come this Thursday too, okay? All right. All right. Um, so we've got keys to riding lawnmowers. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that could be done. There's teaching opportunities, investing your life in children on Sunday morning. There, there's all kinds of things that you can do. You were not, listen, you were not saved to sit. You were saved to serve. And so you've been given at your salvation a spiritual gift. By the infinite wisdom, Holy Spirit gave you gifts to be used for the building up of the body. Now, we as leaders want to do a better job of giving you opportunity to do this, but effective ministry happens within the church when each, ministry, each member is equipped for ministry. Secondly, effective equipping ministry therefore enables Christ followers to be stable, 
by knowing how to discern the truth from human cunning and deceitful schemes of the culture and from false teachers so that there is a maturity and a stability in our lives. We'll talk a little bit about that toward the end today and a lot about that next week. The third summary of this text is that the aim of effective equipping ministry is that the church eventually becomes mature, reaching the fullness of Christ. The aim, this is a good aim. The aim of your spiritual life when you breathe your last is to not look like me. Not physically, but spiritually. When we breathe our last, who should we be looking like more than anybody else? Jesus. And that's what Paul says. The aim is that we would grow up, leave infancy, and we would grow up into the fullness of who Christ is. So we are to help you and you are to participate and agree to be equipped, to participate in this. And so this is the first, verse 12, first part of verse 12. Look at that. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is the first of three times Paul uses the word for in this section. So God gave gifted leaders to the church for the important purpose of equipping the people of God for ministry. Now I want to make sure that we understand what this word equip means. So there are multiple uses of this expression of this word in the New Testament. So listen to these. The word equip. You have a house. We have a church building. There's not a place on this church building. There's not a place likely in your house that's not furnished. Your back porch will be furnished with something. If you've got a little side patio, it will be furnished with something. That's what this Greek word means, equip. It means to furnish something to put things in there to be useful for the building or the body. And so this is what Paul's idea is, is that the leaders of the church are to work at equipping the saints for ministry so that the church is furnished, again, not with couches, but with people who are spiritually gifted, who will invest their lives in ministry for the building up of the body. And this word equip carries a multiplicity of ideas from the New Testament. Let me just give you some of those. Matthew 4.21, the word is used to talk about when, when Peter and John were mending their nets. They were equipping their nets, fixing their nets to get them ready for fishing. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul writes that the church is to be equipped to live in harmony and agreement with one another. Interesting. that That's part of the equipping that Paul talks about. 2 Corinthians 13.11, this word equip, this word furnishing, this idea of furnishing is used here about addressing and correcting problems that arise in a local church. That's how also the leaders equip the church to be strong. Paul uses the same word in Galatians 6 1, where he talks about restoring someone who's wandered away from the faith. You go and get them and you restore them. You are equipping them to be back in the body to walk with God. Paul uses the word again in 1 Thessalonians 3 10, where he defines there what is lacking inside of a church so that it can be addressed and fixed and added into the life of the church to help build it up and to make the church stronger. One other time it was used, Hebrews 13, 
21, where the writer uses the Greek word in speaking of getting believers equipped to walk in the will of God. And so in each of these instances, the emphasis is on getting the church prepared to serve the Lord and to serve one another well. And Paul says there to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Ministry is to be practiced so that the Lord will be honored and glorified and so that people will be ministered to in other ways. What does that look like at LifePoint? Well, it's happening right now as I preach. This is part of the equipping process, reminding us of the truth. Our kids are being taught this morning truth about Jesus. They're being prayed for. They're being loved on. Encounter our student ministry on Wednesday nights. We are teaching the students, equipping them as we walk through the scripture. When we go on mission trips with the students, um, they have practical ways in which they are serving, being equipped, having responsibility to do things. We have something here at the church called LifePoint 101, which is kind of the initiation into membership at the church of learning about who we are. And so there's equipping. So there's, there's all kinds of things that we do here. One of the big things that we do here are life groups, where there are leaders, most of them elders, who are teachers and, and proclaiming the truth and shaping and, and pouring their lives into other people. So there's all kinds of things that the church can do to help equip. So that brings us now to the second one. And it's the second part of verse 12. So look with me in verse 12. Let's just read all of verse 12 again. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This word build up is a word that Paul uses in his writings 15 times. It literally means to edify to lift up, to speak in such a way, to love in such a way, to minister in such a way, to equip and equip to build up the body toward maturity in every manner of life. Now, this Greek word means to construct something, to build something up. So it's a construction kind of word describing what is to be done in the construction and the intention of what it's going to look like on the end when everything is finished and everything is completed. This word, by its very meaning of building up and edifying and lifting up the body of Christ, the people of God, it denotes two very strong areas in in regard to growth within the church. One is simply this. This building is a process of being united in the biblical action of building something for Christ's glory. So why, why is LifePoint here? Why does it exist in 2023 at this location on this day? Why are we here? What are we doing? Well, our primary thing is this, is to glorify Jesus. That's our main mission, is that Jesus and everything about the church would be glorified. So our equipping ministry, our proclamation ministry, our evangelism ministry, our missions aspects, Our life groups, all of this is designed for the purpose to build up the church and building something that Christ would be honored and glorified in. Secondly, not only that, that it's for Christ's glory, but secondly, that there would be something built up that would be present that would encourage others. So again, last week, I'm on the other side of the world. 
And I'm getting texts from you, emails from some of you, just praying for us, lifting us up. And I can't tell you um, how encouraging that was. We were 10 hours and 45 minutes ahead of you. And so one night on Sunday night, I'm lying in my bed in the dark and I'm watching Rich Rick preach last week and being greatly encouraged by what he was sharing um, last week as he preached um, to everyone that was here. So we, one, want to glorify Jesus in our ministries. Secondly, we want these ministries to, have, to be a present, practical working that would encourage and lift up other people. In other words, we want sound construction. That's what we want. Peter spoke about this. Listen, listen to these words from Peter. 1 Peter 2, 5. You yourselves, speaking of the church, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we want to build, and you can do this, you can build a church not with sound construction. And so we want to make sure that as we build LifePoint, we are building LifePoint with sound materials, strong materials, not man's perspective, but what does the Bible say about all things related to life, godliness, and everything like that. And so we want to make sure that everything that we do, the only way to have sound construction is to teach the Scripture and to point people to the glory of God as He is revealed in the Scripture. God, so encouraged by this, his faithful activity, his faithful word says this, that he will be active in the building of his house. Now I want to remind us this morning, this building here is not the house. Who's the house now? We are. We're the house of God. In the Old Testament, There was a tabernacle and there was a temple. New Testament, we become the house. And because we are connected to Jesus, Peter says, we are being built up as a spiritual house. Individually and also corporately as a local congregation, we are being built up into maturity, hopefully, leaving infancy and moving on in our faith. And so Jesus said this to Peter in Matthew 16, 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, listen to these words, Jesus said, I will build my church. So Jesus promises us he's going to build his church. He will do this work. Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders for the very last time, says this in Acts 20, 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So the equipping ministry that the leaders are to be about, of getting the saints ready to serve and love one another and to glorify Jesus, it is for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Now the church will never, a local church will never attain to a place of significant spiritual maturity. Listen to this. Unless a strong commitment is made 
to sound spiritual construction. That has to be a part of the church. And the only way for that to be the case is for the church to be fully grounded in embracing to walk in obedience to the scripture. And so as Paul uses the phrase body of Christ, he is indicating again that everyone in the church, we are all a part of the body if we are believers, everyone in the church is to be focused upon becoming deeply spiritually mature in a strong spiritual house that, that is positive effect on our families, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, our county, wherever it is that we go. And hear this before we move on to the third point this morning. This is important. Nothing, nothing is to get in the way of making sure that the church, greatest ministry and strongest ministry, most prioritized ministry is the teaching of the scripture. Do you remember in Acts chapter 6, the Jerusalem church had grown so large that there were all kinds of needs. There were issues with widows, and then there was a little bit of uh, Jewish widow stuff, Greek widow stuff, and there was all this stuff that was going on. And the apostles were devoting all of their time to fixing the issues within the church, and they recognized all of this stuff like this is getting in the way of the priority of the church, which was the apostles, to teach and proclaim the Scripture. So the office of deacon was established there. And so... The point is this, we are to not let anything get in the way of the building up of the body by the proclamation of scripture to equipping the saints to know who they are, what they are to be about, and what the church is to be about. Here's the last point this morning. And last point doesn't mean I'm done in five minutes, okay? This is the last point, but we'll be done shortly. Look at verse 13. So we'll finish with verse 13 today. Until, by the way, look up here real quick. You know that every comma, Jesus told us in Matthew 5, every comma, every little word of Scripture is significant. This word until in this verse is absolutely important. You may think, until, what what in the world? Well, no, this is a clarifier word, and it's really, really important. So look what he says there in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now he says, until... Again, I'm not insulting your intelligence. I'm reminding you, okay? I'm reminding you. How many does it include when Paul says all? Would you agree with me that that means all? Xavier, are you with me? That all means all. So when he says there, until, is a time frame with that. And then he says, we all. So until, a time frame, a direction... How long do we do this until all of us, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? Paul says it another way in Romans, but he's saying the same thing. God's heart for every one of us in the room this morning who is in faith is that we would be conformed to the very image of His Son. 
Not just when we see Him, and John writes that we will be transformed into His glory, but here on the earth, we are to be coming more and more and more and more and more like Jesus in our thoughts, in what goes in our ears, in what we see, how we walk, how we live, how we serve. Every bit of that, there is to be a conforming to the image of Jesus. So here's what Paul wrote, Romans 8, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Later, the writer of Hebrews would say it like this, Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, let us, listen to these words, let us leave elementary school about God, about the son of God. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on toward maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. The ultimate aim of ministry in a local church is not entertainment. The ultimate aim every Sunday is not to make sure that you feel good about things so that you can make it through the week and barely crawl in here next week. The ultimate aim of the long-term vision of sound construction in a local congregation, and particularly here at LifePoint, is that we, look up here, hear this, is that until we all reach the maturity and that we look more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. That's the aim. That's what Paul says. So the leaders are to equip for the building up of the body, and as they equip and the body is built up, there is a unity that comes of faith to where we eventually reach, Paul says, the full stature in the knowledge of Christ. So let's talk about this word, until. The word until is a qualifier in regard to how long the church is to focus on discipling Christ followers. So I'm going to ask you a question. Again, I'm not insulting your intelligence. So if the mission of the church is to proclaim the truth, teach the truth, model the truth, serve the truth, proclaim it, preach it, be missional about it, until we all reach full maturity of Christ, how long do we focus on that? Until Jesus comes back. That's how long we do it. So that doesn't mean, I hope in seven years, that we just, we're just there, and we're, we can kind of finish this, and I don't know what we do in seven years. We just shut the place down and do whatever. We are never going to get there. So watch this. Churches that have stopped proclaiming and teaching biblical truth verse by verse have quit on trying to aim at getting their people to reach the fullness of the maturity of Christ. Because you cannot get there if there's not a proclamation and a teaching and a deep commitment to sound instruction, construction by instruction connected to the Scripture. So Paul is wanting us to see How long do we do this? Well, until all of us are like Jesus. Angela, are you there yet? Drew Farr, are you there yet? I'm not there. So how long do we go about this? Until Jesus comes back. 
This is our mission. This is our focus. This until sets clear boundaries for how long and exactly, listen, and exactly what a single-minded focus is to be ours as church leaders and that you are demand to your church leaders to be deeply committed about. We are not to stray from this mission. And so he says three things here that encompass this idea of building up the church so that we would attain a unity of faith and the full stature and the knowledge of Jesus. So let me touch on those. First one is simply this, that we would all reach the unity of faith and knowledge, Paul says here, of the Son of God. Now I could go through and I could, I could give you all kinds of things about unity and they're just filled in the New Testament, particularly in Paul's writings, that we are to have unity of faith. Now, that just doesn't mean, hear this, that we get along, that we just have to get along. He's wanting us to get along. But this idea here is not just getting along and having the agreement. It's different than that. It's a little bit different. It is this. It means when he says unity of faith, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about a unity of set of doctrine, a set of belief. That we're not just, not just all haphazardly believing whatever we want to believe. But we are to grow up. We are to grow up into a set of clear teaching doctrine and theology that is laid forth in the New Testament. And that you are, if you're eight this morning in the room this morning, our kids are here on first, first May, first Sunday of May. Kids, you're eight, you're six, you're 11. You are to start now leaving elementary school spiritually of just the basics about the stories of Jesus and moving on to knowing deeper ideas about things. Kids are smart. Well, most of the time. They are, they are. Our LifePoint kids, we've been teaching them for years. And I tell you, they, they grasp things that sometimes you wouldn't think that they can grasp. So we are, listen, it's not just about getting along. It's about over the years, a church having more and more and more and more and more agreement about doctrine and a unity in that about what we are to believe. So what are we to believe? Well, Paul says that this unity means to, to be connected to the knowledge, listen to this, of the Son of God. We are to be experts on who? Jesus. We are to be experts on him. The unity of faith that Paul is calling us to embrace is a very kind kind that is that has unity in the knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. We are to know him in the fullest kind of way. And there are to eventually, listen to this, there are to eventually over time in a church that's been together and the core group of those people that are there, we are eventually to have no disagreements whatsoever about the nature of who the Son of God is. We are to get to a place where we understand what the Scripture says about that. So if somebody ever says anything that's contrary to what we know that is there, we can recognize it, it can be addressed and talked about, and that person can be helped to understand that. But this is what Paul is saying. Eventually, when maturity comes in a local church there will be agreement about Jesus. Let me give you an example. In the country that we were in last week, there's a group, they're called um, The Truth. They call themselves The Truth, and it's a cult that's running rampant 
um, in many of the countries in Asia drawing believers away from the church. This is what this group, The Truth, proclaims. They reject the Father and they reject the Spirit. They just affirm Jesus. And so it's, it's doing some damage to the churches there. And so I was sitting down at a table with a, with a number of the pastors, and they were, I just said, y'all ask me anything. I'm, I'm here to give time. And so whatever you want to ask. And so one of them said, what do we do about this thing called the truth that's going on? And are those people, though they proclaim and affirm Jesus, are they true believers? And that was one of the main questions that they were asking. And I said, no, they're not. And here's why. The Father sent the Son. The Spirit's role is to glorify the Son. And so if you're going to reject the Father and you're going to reject the Spirit, you don't have the same Jesus that we have. That's, a, that's, that's not biblical. And so I just shared with them, you just need to pour your heart into those people who are confused with this. Point them to the truth. Look at the places. I showed them a bunch of places in the Gospel of John and said, look how Jesus affirms his unity with the Father. Show them these scriptures of Jesus affirming this. So the point is just this. We are to know him in the fullest way. This word here, knowledge of the Son of God, means full knowledge, not elementary knowledge, not infancy knowledge. We are to have full knowledge, the kind of knowledge the word also means that is experienced because there's a walk of knowing facts and walking in obedience. It's not enough just to know facts. We can know facts, but we've got to live it out and know it experientially. Christians are to know Jesus better than anything else in their life. And so therefore, here at LifePoint, this is critical for us that we would have unity in who Jesus is and what the Scripture said. Second part of this is that we would reach, he uses the phrase here, mature manhood, just maturity. Don't get hung up on the masculine sense of that. We are to reach maturity. So here's the process of consistent growth towards spiritual maturity. We come to faith as Jesus, recognizing he's Lord and Savior. We begin reading and understanding the scripture. We begin learning how to apply those principles of scripture to our faith life, of the things that we are reading and living those out. We have tests that come in our our life, and they test our faith. They test our trust and our understanding of God. But we continue to live the principles because we know the Scripture is true. We continue to apply those principles constantly to every area of our lives. And eventually in time, you know what you will have? You will have a mature Christian. You have maturity that's there. You have someone who's, who has built sound construction in their lives. And so there is to be a unity in our knowledge of the Son of God, experts of that, We are to continue in that until we reach manhood, adulthood, and move on to that. And here's the third one. Here's how you measure what maturity looks like. It can only be measured in Christ-likeness. That's it. Can't be measured in any other kind of way. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature 
of the fullness of Christ. Now, I don't know if you do this at your house. My parents did this. Three sons. Back in the day, they built tiny places to put washers and dryers. But my parents would have us every year on our birthday stand up against this thing and they would take a pencil and mark that piece of wood about how tall we were. Then they would write, Doak, August 25th, 1971. And then my brother Doug and my brother Davis. And over time, there was just markings all over this as we grew up. And so many people today are talking about how do you measure church accurately? Is it just how many people come? Is it the dynamic of the ministries? Does your church have a climbing wall? Does whatever, whatever, all kinds of things. And I tell you, there's only, listen, there is only one true measurement that a church can use is are the people becoming more and more like Jesus? If they're not, then the church has lost its way. And so this, this is why you have what you have in the United States today in regard to church. Wrong criteria, wrong measurement, wrong evaluation about things, bad construction, not sound construction. And so 25 years, we're 15 years at this thing, people. We're 15 years almost at life point. And the only way that we're going to grow in maturity is to continue to do what we have been doing for years. Now, you don't reach maturity overnight. I'm very young and dapper looking. But my body is older. You don't you don't get to maturity overnight, do you? You don't. It takes what? Time and effort and energy. But eventually there's a building up of things to where that there's a maturity that's there that is solid and as secure. And you can only see it when the people in a congregation are deep lovers of Jesus. Love His Word. Love to worship Him. Love to gather with people. Love to talk about Him. Love to build their family on the truth of the Scripture. Listen, remaining an infant is never to be the standard for any Christian. We are to grow up into the fullness of Jesus. That's the aim. And so the standard immediately becomes that the church is to aim that everybody would be like Jesus. And so we start when kids are very young here. Right now we don't have any babies in the nursery. But when we did have babies in the nursery, the people would hold those babies and they would pray over those babies on Sunday morning. Praying for the parents, praying for the ministries of the church, praying for other believers connected to the families. So we are to aim in every kind of way to seeing people, seeing you, seeing me, be like Jesus in every way. This standard applies to everyone. That means this, that eventually... Some of the questions that we ask about faith over and over and over again, we need to quit asking them because we've gotten the answer and we're going to live out the answer now. 
Kids ask questions all the time. Why? Well, what is that? What's the purpose of that? Eventually, we've gotten to the place where we just know things. And they're solid in our lives. For the individual and for the church, infancy is to be left as we aim toward growing toward the stature of the fullness of Jesus. We are to build up. This is the true measurement, the conformity of Jesus. So I want to share one last thing. We'll finish. We have been investing in this nation in Asia for since 2016. There's been a lot of teaching. There's been a, a lot of modeling, a lot of Facebook messenger, a lot of video conferencing and talking over the years. Um, this last trip last week was absolutely amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you for praying. Let me tell you what's happened there now. We had a delay because of COVID, couldn't go for a couple of years. But there's something unique happened. There's about 35 churches there that we are connected to, just about every single one of them. When we started in 2016, we're just haphazardly doing whatever. Just about every one of them are teaching verse by verse of the Scripture now. And one of the most encouraging things, our last day, we had a meeting to talk about things in the future. And they said this, they told us this, that they know some other smaller churches in the area where the leadership is not good, it's not solid, and they feel a responsibility now to these other churches to get them to the conferences that we do so that they can begin to learn the things that we are doing. That's missional, that's maturity, that's what's happening and taking place on the other side of the world. And your faithful giving, Sunday after Sunday, by the way, I think you know this, And because we don't ever talk about money and because I don't know who gives here, I want to say this. It is important for you to invest financially in the church because as you do that, we are able to do so many things mission-wise. Do things here. You wouldn't believe. Buffalo milk farms. I I drank warm, fresh buffalo milk um, last week. It's tasty. It's good. Pastors are able to give time to their ministries at the church because you've been faithful to give. So if you're not a giver, I want to say to you, you should be. It's biblical. We're to give. Not just of our life and laying it down, but we are to give financially to invest so the kingdom of God grows. And your giving has had an incredible impact where we were. And let's continue it. So next week we'll start in the next verse and look at the next three. Let's pray.